God is truly worthy of all the honor, all the praise that you and I can bestow upon him. He is deserving because of everything that he has done for us. And we ought to have a life fully devoted in service to our God. And when you start speaking about a life of full devotion, someone might ask, but what does that require of me? What does God want me to do and how does he want me to serve him? Well, in order for me to get your minds in the right direction, I want to begin with a question. How important are all the parts of your body? Your eyes, your ears, your hands, and your feet. When Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he was trying to instruct the congregation about the use of the spiritual gifts. There was a real problem that had developed in the congregation. There were some who felt as if the gift that they had been given was superior to that of others. Some of them felt as if they did not need others. And Paul, in order to prove his point, used the illustration of the human body. And he begins in verse 12 by saying, For the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? Dropping down to verse 20. But indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Dropping again to verse 26. And if anyone suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if any member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He's trying to get them to see that it does not matter whether one had the gift of prophecy or one had the gift of healing or one had another gift that in all of these they were all working together to bring about the value of the body. As I go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, it becomes even more apparent. As Paul is describing the way God designed the body, and he's going to again use the physical body as a metaphor by saying, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I want you to think in your own physical body how important all of your features are. Think about if your sight was removed. All the rest of your body is going to suffer greatly because you can't see. Imagine the loss of your hearing. Some of you have had your hearing lessened and you can't hear everything. Imagine not hearing anything. I want you to think, as he uses here, the idea of the joints. Some of you have ailing joints. If your knee joint or your elbow joint is not operating properly, not only may there be pain, but the rest of your body has to compensate for the lack of what that body is able to do. Well, how important is it that one serve God with his whole being? 
with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep His commandments, who seek Him with the whole heart, with our whole being. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and He keep His commandments, for this is man's all. I want you to think about, as we approach our lesson this morning, what was just read to us a few moments ago from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. I want to focus particularly on verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We talked about for the past couple of weeks about the heart and the emotional service, the soul and the spiritual service. Today we're going to talk about the mind and the mental service. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the strength and our physical service and then conclude that with loving our neighbors ourselves and our social service. Today I want to focus on the mind. And I really want to take you through a step-by-step, if you will, I want to talk about the reprobate mind, the mind that has become diseased, that's become warped. I want to talk about then the renewed mind where a person comes back and says, okay, I want to think properly. I want to think how God wants me to think. And then after you have a mind that is thinking properly renewed, then one that is ready to serve. Let's begin our lesson now. Let's think about, for instance, the reprobate mind. And if I were to ask you to tell me what your mind is, define it for me. Most of us would say that's the part I think with. I'm able to reason. I'm able to understand. I'm able to comprehend. Someone can tell me something and I can understand the way things work. I can understand motivations. As I go to the Bible, I can be able to understand what it says. But you have to realize the mind can and is warped and diseased. In Romans chapter 1, God was discussing with Paul, or allowing Paul to discuss with the Romans, the problem that had arisen among the Gentiles who had refused to have God in their knowledge. And he says, for this reason, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What does that mean, a reprobate mind? Well, I'd like for you to go with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. This is one of those great passages which really opens up for us an understanding of this type of mind. He said, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. Against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh.
cannot please God. He's describing the two different mindsets. Those who are carnally or fleshly minded, those who think only in physical terms, and those who think in spiritual terms. The carnal mind is the reprobate mind. It's enmity with God. It's not subject to God. It only thinks about physical things, worldly things. Paul himself goes on to Timothy and describes this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, he talks about useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. What is he talking about? Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. You see, people, some of them, are living for gain. They're living for whatever they can get out of this life. And he says, that's what corrupt minds are. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. When I go to Philippians chapter 3, Paul also writes about this type of mindset. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and even now tell you weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is their shame, and set their mind on earthly things. You start seeing a pattern develop in all these passages where a person thinks only on worldly things and they have now corrupted their minds. One more, Colossians 1, verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. But as I begin to explore this, I've got to figure out what is it that corrupts my mind? What is it that corrupts your mind? What is it that makes me think in worldly ways versus godly ways? Well, Paul will tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he's going to attribute this to the God of this age, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine upon them. Here we're talking about people that the people of this world, the God of this world, well, if you don't know who that is, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, But I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, it's the devil out there holding out for us and saying, Oh, this is, this is where life is to be found. This is where joy is to be found. This is where your ultimate meaning is to be found. And some people say, Yeah, that's it. They embrace it and they buy into it. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, and I, I try to visualize this congregation of people that have once been involved in this worldly thinking. He says to them, And you did he make alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the others. You see, you become like the world. We live in a world where everyone is telling us that this is where pleasure is found. This is where meaning is found. And just like in all of those, he talks about the prince of the power of the air. The devil is behind it all. And what does that do? That ultimately warps our conscience. To the point where you and I, when we do something that is wrong, our conscience no longer bothers us. In Titus 1 and verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. It's just like in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6 and verse 15. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. He even said they didn't even know how to blush. Our society has persuaded us. It's influenced us. So our minds become corrupted. And we think that this is normal. Just truth is, not everyone follows the world's thinking. In fact, some of us have had a change of mind, or to use the scriptural term, we've had a renewed mind. It's where we no longer embrace the world's influences and directions. Oh, there's a great passage of scripture. You probably already have it in your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, my, my mind thinks differently now. I'm not going to be poured into the mold of the world to think like the world thinks and to do things like the world does. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to renew it. Ephesians 4, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. But you see, this is what's involved in conversion. We often talk about the word repentance and what repentance involves. And we emphasize it is a change of mind that results in a change of conduct. It's what Jesus called upon the people to do in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. I tell you, no, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. It's what Peter did on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and verse 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's what he told them to do in Acts 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and let your sins be blotted out. It's what Paul said in Acts 17 and verse 30. At the times of this ignorance, God once overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. In all of these passages, there's this idea of the change of mind, but 
why do I change my mind? I learn better. In fact, I learn from the Lord how to live a better life. If you go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life in God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20 but you have not so learned Christ. See, he's trying to say when you learn Christ, you don't walk like they walk anymore. You learn that there's something greater and better to live for. You learn there's an eternity to be pursued. And this life is not all there is. Perhaps my favorite of all the passages that I'll use in this lesson today is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 10. As the Apostle Paul is trying to persuade the congregation there to not allow themselves to be drawn back, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. Oh, we have to let our minds dwell upon eternity. Let our minds dwell upon what's going to come for us in the future. Verse 10, And put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Oh yes, I look at the Lord and I look at his image but then how do I do that? How do I renew my mind if I start looking through the scriptures and I'm finding passages that provide for me some direction? Part of this is I've got to prepare myself. I've got to do something to be able to receive the instruction and the direction that is there. Peter will use an illustration which was common to their generation but has some real application to us. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. Back in the biblical times, people wore their dress was like a dress that a woman might wear that goes all the way to the ground. And if they were going to do any work, if they were going to run or walk of any distance, they would reach through their legs, they would pull up the bottom of that garment and tuck it in what we would call a belt. And that's called girding up your loins. A parallel to our generation would be roll up your sleeves. It's time to go to work. Prepare your mind to do what is right. The second thing that you do once you prepare your mind to receive it is to fill it with the things that are recorded in God's Word. 
Because you see, if I talk to the man on the street, I talk to the guy I work with, all we're talking about is the things of this life. But as I go to the Bible, I find God wanting to put His laws in my heart and in my mind. Going back to the Old Testament reference from Jeremiah 31, he says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Verse 10 of chapter 8 and verse 16 of chapter 10. The idea is is that God doesn't want our books just to be something that is a book on a shelf or a book on a coffee table. He wants us to read it. He wants us to, to learn it, to search it daily, and let it be the guide of our lives. Second Peter 1 and verse 3 says, His divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and virtue. Just like the people of Berea in Acts 11 They were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Yes, the Bible calls upon us to be daily Bible readers. And when you and I have reached our very best, we will pursue the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, I know he's talking about the inspiration that God provided through the Holy Spirit to him. And he says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we have the mind of Christ. God has revealed it and then we're revealing it to others. When you and I study that Bible, what does it do to us? We develop the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now let me move along swiftly. Let's talk about the ready mind. Because if you have the right mind that's been renewed, it's been filled with the scriptures, you're finding direction, then you have now a desire to do something. You can't learn this information and not want to share it. One of the best illustrations that I can think of is from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah the governor was sent back to Jerusalem. And when he arrived, he was discouraged. He was depressed. The walls of the city were broken, torn down. The gates were fallen, just like a city that had been destroyed and never rebuilt. Because he had a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of encouragement, he instilled in the people this ambition to rebuild the walls. And they confronted a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties. There were people trying to frustrate them at every turn. But when you get to chapter 4, verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Listen to the last part of the verse. For the people had a mind to work. You see, you can take God's word, you can take what God wants out of us, 
And you can inspire people with it. You can encourage people with it. You can take them and lift them up to where they say, hey, I'm ready to do something. Let me give you a good illustration of that. There were needy people in Jerusalem. They were Jews. Where Paul was traveling among the Gentile congregations, some of them had enough and to spare. And he encouraged them to be generous, to give. Among them were the churches of Achaia and the churches of Macedonia. When you get to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul's going to describe the Corinthians and the Macedonians and how they were giving. He said to them in chapter 8 and verse 19, And not only that, but who were chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind. When he got to chapter 9, he went even a little bit further and pointed out that their willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was prepared a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Willingness, zeal, that's what happens when you have people whose mind is renewed, it's changed, it's filled with God's Word, and it says, I've got to do something. I can't sit still. I can't just let this opportunity pass. It'll persuade you like it did the Apostle Paul. He was ready to go to Jerusalem, and he knew that if he did, he was going to be in prison there, and he was going to be beaten. And he says, For I am ready not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In Romans 1 and verse 15, he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm ready. I'm ready. And whenever a person has this kind of mind that is ready, what will it do? When someone comes to you and says, what do you believe? But sanctify in your hearts of the Lord Jesus and be ready always to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks the reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Oh, you're the kind of person who will always be ready for whatever opportunity that arises. Let me bring all this to a conclusion now. When I get to the book of Psalms, chapter 26 and verse 2, David puts it like this. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Now, I believe that each and every one of you possess the mental faculties to be able to discern whether or not your mind and your heart is listening to the things of the Spirit or is listening to the things of the flesh. Your mind's important because you have to serve God with all your being. I can't just have part of me. God wants all of me. He deserves all of me. And what I'd like to call upon you now is to exercise your mind as you think about your soul's state. We're going to sing this invitation song, and if you're not a Christian... 
Why not leave the world, change your mind by repenting of your sins and being baptized to have your sins washed away? If you are a Christian and you look and you see that as many of these passages already have addressed, Christians sometimes can allow their minds to lose focus on the spiritual things and return back to the worldly things. That's where you are. It's time for you to say, I'm sorry, Lord. I've not been serving you with my whole being. I've only been giving you part of who I am. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you this morning. You see, as we get to the end of a service, I know everybody thinks this may just be a tradition. It's just what we do. But I want you to think of this really as it is, a wonderful opportunity for you with the encouragement of others to be obedient to the Lord. Would you come while we stand and sing?